Well, my dear friends in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So how many of you have your Christmas tree up by now? Hands? Okay, it's two weeks, so it's getting down to the wire. My mom has a, a little evergreen that she has been growing for the last several years in a pot in her apartment. And when it started out, you know, it was about this big. And now it's about two and a half feet tall. And uh, my sister and my daughters over Thanksgiving helped her string lights on it and decorate it. It's uh, actually a pretty serviceable little Christmas tree. And probably the most ecologically friendly option when you think about it. How many of you went on to a lot and bought a tree somewhere? Anybody dare to admit it? Wow, nobody in this room? Amazing. Well, they've gotten really expensive this year, you know, so that has kept some people from going and buying one a lot. Um, how many will admit to having an artificial tree? Oh, and there it is. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for your bravery. Um, we did something in our household that we haven't done for probably three decades. We went down to the Forest Service office, and we plunked down our 10 bucks and got our tree tag, and then Laura and Leith and I went up into the Black Hills National Forest and cut down our own this year, doing our best imitation of Clark Griswold and family, <laughs> looking for that perfect centerpiece to our good old-fashioned Santa's family Christmas. Um, it went as about, about as you would expect, <laughs> and I'll say no more about that. We did manage to bring one home, though, and secured it with bungees to the hitch hall on the back of my Jeep. Didn't account for the snow-packed roads <laughs> up way up high that by the time we were coming down, it was a warm day when we did this, we're starting to melt, turning Tinton Road into a muddy mess. And this tree that was once green, <laughs> by the time we got home, was a distinct shade of brown. And after shaking it out and hosing it off in the driveway and then letting it dry for a while, it now holds a place of honor in our living room. Little full, a lot of sap. <laughs> um, it's a strange thing we do, isn't it? Honoring the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus by sacrificing a spruce tree. But this odd custom is not without meaning, is it? Bringing some green into the drab darkness of our winter hovels. Real or artificial? Lot bought or fresh cut? The sentiment is always the same. The evergreen nature of God's love brought most fully and unmistakably to earth in Emmanuel, God who is with us, into whatever bleakness our living might hand us. I was reading a reflection this past week by, uh, written by a pastor named Talitha Arnold, who is a UCC pastor in Santa Fe, New Mexico, down there in the high desert. And she said something that I found pretty profound. She said, Christmas begins and ends in the desert. It's true, you know, but living and experiencing Christmas the way we do here in the Northern Hemisphere, this simple little truism easily escapes our notice. And this is why we read, you know, from the prophet Isaiah during the season of Advent, every one of the first readings, these four Sundays of Advent, is from the prophet Isaiah. His words to his people, Israel, 
in around the 6th century B.C. didn't just originate from a desert location, which they did, but also most certainly from what you could call a, a desert time in the people's history. They'd been overrun by a stronger power. They'd been removed from their homeland, exiled to a strange place, physically and spiritually. I'm sure that they couldn't help but wonder where God had gone to, why God had seemingly abandoned them to despondency and desperation. They found themselves in a desert, to be sure, where hopes for any kind of a decent future had all but deserted them. And Isaiah offers these desert dwellers a vision. Right? You heard it this morning, a vision of a desert bursting into full bloom. Life coming back to what looks dead and deserted. Crocus is blossoming in the burning sands of a dry desert. Perhaps right in line with the sign of the evergreen announcing life in the cold dead of winter, northern hemisphere or southern hemisphere. It's really the same vision, you know. Christmas does begin and end in the desert. From the cry of the prophet Isaiah in his people's exile to the birth of Mary and Joseph's baby in that barn in Bethlehem, this is a desert story. And it's not exactly the high desert either, is it? You know, the town of Nazareth only sits at about 1,200 feet above sea level, about the same as Phoenix, Arizona. Bethlehem shoots up to an incredible height of about 2,500 feet, which is about like Kadoka, okay? Both Nazareth and Bethlehem get less, less than about 20 inches of rain every year, just enough to eke out an agricultural existence with some irrigation, and that's in a good year. As in other desert places, winters in that part of the world are bitter cold, and summer's hot and dry. In the late spring, the sands of the Khamasine winds blow down from the Arabian desert through that region. Jesus was born in a desert place. He was born into a desert time too, right? Under Roman occupation. You remember that's why uh, his birth was in Bethlehem in the first place, right? And not in his parents' hometown of Nazareth, which is probably where by rights he should have been born. But Caesar Augustus, trying to flex his military might and power, demanded that this census take place, this head count, even if it meant that a pregnant woman and her carpenter husband should have to travel all that way from their hometown to a strange town that they only knew by their ancestral lineage. A desert time, a desert place. That's where Christmas begins, and it stays there, too, for quite some time. After that child is born, remember, his folks can't go back home to Nazareth. Caesar's toady king, Herod the Great, doesn't want any new king around, so they have to flee Egypt to escape his murderous edict, another strange desert place where people don't know their names. And I love that Isaiah's vision of desert transformation is paired today with that gospel reading that you heard from Matthew 11. John sitting in prison, wondering whether or not Jesus is really the one or whether they should wait for another. 
You know, Dijon is in his own desert wilderness there. Hmm? A desert of doubt and fear. As all the powers that be come crashing down in around him, threatening his very life. Hmm. It's exactly in those moments, in the dry, harsh reality of this world's cruelty and everything that it can do to us, that Jesus shows up with something life-giving, right? Tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The blind receive their sight. The dead are raised. The poor have good news brought to them. Life comes to the desert. So I don't know. Maybe we should be decorating cactuses instead of evergreens, right? And if this were the desert where we lived, we'd probably do that very thing. Trade in our poinsettias for crocuses. But we are here in these northern hills where at Christmas time, instead of hot and dry, we get cold and frozen. Is it really any different? More to the point, is this world really any different? People hunger and thirst for hope and freedom in the midst of a violent, self-centered, selfish world that celebrates power and cruelty at the expense of the vulnerable still, just like it did back then. You could imagine a barren desert or a, a frozen snowscape. It's really the same thing. When you really think about it, the fact that Christmas begins and ends in the desert is probably the best part of the whole story. If God can be born there, then God can certainly be born into the harsh landscapes of our lives and of our world in the midst of doubt, in the midst of fear. In this year, this day, we don't need to be afraid of the desert or of dry times or of the freezing cold or of the blizzards that might be coming or of our own lives the wilderness that this world can sometimes be. Because in the birth of Jesus, Emmanuel, God who is with us, new life was born even in a desert time and place. New life can still be born, even here, even now, in this season. In dry, harsh landscapes, be they of our inner world or of the world around us, God is still here just as God was in that cold desert that night long ago in Bethlehem. And that's good news, you know, this season and every single season. God was in the desert for Mary and Joseph on that first Christmas. God will be here with us, with our loved ones, and our world this Christmas too, I trust. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, the prophet said. In the time of his people's exile, the desert shall rejoice. It'll blossom. That was true for Isaiah, and it was true for Mary and Joseph. Still true for us. Christ will still be born even in the desert, especially in the desert. Amen.